Hey, it's Book Circle Online. Today we're here with Kim Dower, whose new poetry collection is out, so stay tuned. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Hi, it's Book Circle Online. Happy National Poetry Month. Kim Dower is here. Thank you. Hi, Jeff. Hi, good to see you. It's good to see you. Thank you. I'm Jeffrey Masters. We'll do a quick intro. Uh, this is your third book of poetry. It is. It's my third collection, collection as we call them. Collection, excuse me. Because, you know, collection is more than just a book, Jeff. Oh, please elaborate. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, you know, I guess it... Uh, it's about the poems in the book. So they, okay. they call it a collection. I don't know. I didn't make it up. You no, know, it's, it's okay. The, it's it's one of the rules. There's a lot of rules in poetry. <laughs> there were you know? 83 poems, you said? 83 poems. That's a dense collection. That That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. How many were in your last books? You know, I don't remember, but there weren't 83. Okay. Um, the book before it, uh, you know, I, I should count. I should know, but um, apparently... We'll, I'm, do, we'll do it I'm, after. <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's good I don't it take a minute yeah, um, yeah. No, so the new collection is called last train to the missing planet mm-hmm. your last two were slice of moon and K- air kissing on mars correct are you purposely picking celestial titles uh, isn't that horrible you no. know air kissing on mars just came okay then um and so did slice of moon i just uh because there's a poem in slice of moon about a slice of moon okay and then when I was thinking about the third collect- collection and what the title should be, I thought, huh, you know, I happen to be in the book business in my day job, and I'm all about uh, putting things together and what. So I thought, well, maybe one day Red Hen Press will do the three books together and call it the greatest poetry on the planet. And then <laughs> it would, each book would have some, a name. Yeah. So, uh Last Train to the Missing Planet sort of came together with planet in mind, but it took a long time to come up with that title. Oh, and and the, the final poem ends with that line? It does. Did you pick that poem to go last for that reason? I did. Okay. It all ties it together very nicely. Right. You try to tie it together a little bit without tying it together. Yeah. You know? No, it works. But yeah, <laughs> good, good. Uh, as we said, this is your third collection. I'm sure yeah. you've written a thousand poems yeah does it get any easier uh no really no it, there's nothing easy it 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 sometimes is fun it's always fun when you sit down to start writing a poem because it means an idea when when you have an idea uh it's fun yeah. and then you get in there and uh it's not fun revising them but it's it's engrossing and it's the most in the zone I'll ever be doing anything. Oh. There's nothing else really exists at that moment. So I could do it with music or in a car or anywhere because I'm in the poem, oh, inside the poem. Do the final poems that are like in this book, how similar are they to when they come out of your brain? That's a good question. Um, some of them, some of them are very similar. Some poems come out, and it's remarkable. Like, wow, I don't really need to change it that much. Although, I, I don't know. I shouldn't say that in public. But uh, and then other poems just start maybe with a line, and it takes months for the for it, the line to grow into 
a full poem. Oh, really? Or to even know what you're, why you like that line or want that line. But the line where the idea will haunt me and not let me go. So if, if it stops haunting me and it's gone, the poem's gone. Oh, interesting. I, and I've heard you, too, say that you take inspiration from all areas of your life. Yes. But I'm kind of interested in the idea of forcing inspiration. Do you ever sit down without an idea and just, like, see what comes out? Yes, I do. And that's called, and I guess all poets and maybe writers, too, uh, the, the name for it is some people call it automatic writing. Mm-hmm. Some people call it fever writing. I think more poets would use this technique than prose writers who sit down with an idea or want to... But for for me personally, it's sort of shaking out words and seeing what happens. And you literally, you can do it with a pen and a pad, or you can do it on the computer, close my eyes, and write. I can turn on a timer for six minutes, seven minutes. You don't stop until the timer goes off. Oh, so you do do that occasionally? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And the things that come out are remarkable. Even a word coupling... Um, I have a line in a poem uh, about uh, don't wait or don't until sunset goes bad. And I that had come out in some automatic writing, sunset going bad. Yeah. And that idea sort of stuck with me. Okay. And then maybe months and months later, it appeared in the poem. But it was from automatic writing, which is not thinking about what you're doing. Just do it. I've not heard that word before. I, it, you're, it was not in this collection, but I loved the coupling of, in a previous one, you said, you, um, I am gloriously hydrated. Oh. <laughs> I love those words together. Gloriously <laughs> hydrated. That was from the poem Bottled Water. Right. You know, about we all have these choices when we go to get a bottle of water with these names, and what do you choose? Yeah. You know, what? who chooses smart water as opposed to whatever crystal geyser you know what is what makes one more attractive than the other so but yeah yeah, gloriously hydrated it's just so like concise and precise yeah and very wet (laughs) yes that's true (laughs) with these books i felt we're not with these poems i felt like i was reading a collection of personal essays Mm. i i felt like i got to know you like a little bit better through them that's scary (laughs) (laughs) don't hold it against me jeff why no of course not would you say that you are the narrator for the majority of them though um i would say that the speaker in the poems uh there's a continuity with the speaker the persona okay and so i wouldn't say it's me but it's definitely the voice you know we say the voice of the poem or the speaker in the poem and uh if you're in a creative writing workshop and and people start to talk about your poem and they say, well, when you do this, everyone's like, it's not you. It's when the speaker does that. Because it's really not, we're not writing little autobiographies. Of course. Uh, so, but it definitely, the persona has a um, distinct voice, I think, in my poems. Yeah, I asked too, because so many of the poems seem to have character and plot. And a character <laughs> having like interaction, you know, with another person. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, I guess that's true. It, yeah, to me it felt kind of like a loving goodbye letter to this like a passage of your life. Mm. You've written a lot about your mom and now she's passed away and there's writing about her, writing about New York where you used to live mm-hmm. and a lot of yeah, goodbyes. Yeah, maybe that's great. Yeah, a lot of goodbyes. Uh but I I think that um you I don't even remember 
what I'm going to be saying and the memory will come up, the poem reminds the voice to oh, come out in a way. How do you... Uh, I, I, I feel like to get, become a good writer of any form, you need to kind of emulate great writers and then find your own. Speaking of voice earlier, how do you then recognize when it's your voice? Hmm. Wow. Other people tell you. You read it in a review or something. She's got a distinct voice, you know. And if you don't have any reviews, then I guess you never really know. I think that um, absolutely we're, we're very... Uh, inspired by uh, and t- oftentimes copy. You know, when you're first starting to write, teachers, writing teachers will say, copy a Frank O'Hara poem, copy a Sharon Olds poem, yeah. you know, because you have to sort of get comfortable with the form and the idea. Uh, and lack of boundaries. And lack of boundaries and not, right, not being afraid to try different things. I think it's, some people don't really have their own voice. I mean, I, I, I'm sure there are a lot of poets who sound like other poets. So I don't, I don't know. I think it's up to the reader to decide if they think the voice is distinctive. For me, I can only write the poem. You know, I don't see anymore, oh, this is too much like this person. You know, I would hope that by now I have my own voice. I, also, you were talking about that the, that the poems are like little stories with characters. And that would be called a narrative poem. There are different kinds of poems, obviously. So narrative does tell a little story. There's the beginning, middle, end. It's a narration of something, an event. Um, Somebody coming up to me in a department store and asking me, you know, a question, and I use that. Other poems are lyric poems where they don't tell a story, but they're sort of just a, a feeling or trying to understand a concept, they're, um, they don't, I don't know, they're not concrete right. as a narration might be. So, um, and a couple of your poems, I felt, uh, kind of like wavered on both of those, yeah, which are really light because I didn't know where it was going. Uh, what's one of my favorites? Wait, no, I I take that back. This is a test. You said you like to guess which favorite people had. I have a couple. Do you want to guess? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Like, what number are you holding? I, I don't know. I, I hear such odd things. I wrote a poem called Raccoon, The Raccoon on Willoughby. Yeah. And uh, someone wrote me an email who recently got the book and said, oh, I love the poem The Raccoon on Willoughby Street. I would never have thought to read that at a reading or yeah. that that would be someone's favorite. So I don't know. I'm, I'm grateful anyone has a favorite. I'm I'm grateful <laughs> people read the poems and relate to them or respond to them. So yeah. whatever, whichever poem. Well, one of my favorites, which I just blanked on the name, um, There Will Be Things You Do. Oh, yeah. I thought that had a border between like narrative and abstract, and I appreciated mm. that. And then just the specificity of eggs. That's like big in my family. So I just like honed in on that. and yeah. A lot of people like that poem. Garrison Keillor read that right. poem on, uh, yeah, on Writer's Almanac, There Will Be Things You Do. And that's a poem that took a long time to write. I, It just took a long, long time. I wanted that to be, well, I want them all to be perfect, but that has a lot going for it. It's in triplets. There's a lot of rhyme. It moves 
through there there's a there's a narration going on but also as you say uh, there's I wouldn't say abstract but it's definitely there's a lyric feel to it because you're trying to understand something and then it just hones in on the father explaining mm. with the clouds and uh, looking at the sky and it just felt so precise mm. from maybe like different snapshots here and there yeah that's nice I, I guess I'm yeah. also wondering there is uh, the poem the, the, the way back was it um, oh, and they're flying back on the plane? No, it's about um, they were back then. Oh, back then. It's yeah. very short. Yeah. And I thought it was really impressive that you stopped it where you did because it, it kind of had like the snapshot feel from um, there will be things you do that I liked. But this one was just you want me to read complete. it? Yeah, let's do it. It's short. And okay, so back then, this is definitely, I would say, it's it's both, I think, maybe... Um, narrative and lyric Mm -hmm. in a way all right back then all of us swam out past the raft that rocked steadily looked so small until we circled back we'd all pack on top like bodies in a grave still breathing wet with salt our legs one over the other your hand on my belly we didn't cry back then just lived like it didn't matter, like sadness wasn't born yet. Yeah. It's so just concise. Mm. Why do you think, I mean, are you able to say why you ended it where you did? Um, I was hungry. I was, I needed to eat something immediately. A bagel no, schmear I, in the kitchen. I, don't, I think okay. that it was a moment to describe. Yeah. And sometimes the poem actually you know it's done you you know it's finished and you... i think that's a really strong skill though to have to be able to say this is complete yeah sometimes they speak to you it's like that's it you're done move on and there that is a feeling of elation yeah thank you for reading that you're welcome yeah um the i'm the self-portrait to an mm. imaginary brother yeah i i I guess I'm, a lot of the poems were inspiration from your life today. Like The Mailman, which we'll get to later. Right. Um, James Garner dying. But this is something that has been with you your entire life. It was about your mother's miscarriage. Yes. Well, you know, it, this poem, uh, Self-Portrait of Imaginary Brother, is the name of a painting. Uh, and I... This is horrible. But I... This is what happens sometimes. Did, no, you're fine. Did, did Is that from an event in your life? Was that your mother? Did she actually have a miscarriage? Yes, she actually did. But I was when I saw the title of the painting, I was very moved by the title of the painting and the painting. Um, and I just thought, I've always felt like I had an imaginary brother. Yeah. And I was just thinking that as I was walking around the Museum of Modern Art, thinking of this imaginary brother. Like, why did I think that? I have a real brother. And then I thought, well, yeah, my mother had this miscarriage. And she used to talk about it. And I used to think, what if, you know, if she had had him, then I wouldn't have been born. Maybe because then she would have had my brother and that would have been it. Yeah. Or would there have been two brothers? And that idea was haunting me. So I think 
on the airplane coming home, I started writing about it. If I had had a brother, yeah, what would he have been like? Well, and I mean, I didn't ask it, but that answers my question of this has been with you all your life. Why now? And it was the, the painting. It was the painting. Oh, wow. Yeah. How long ago was that? About maybe three or four years ago. Wow. Yeah. Have you been tweaking it since then? Well, I mean, the book just came out, but this book was handed in a year ago. Wow. So, you know, and I probably finished this poem probably took a year to write to get it to get it right it it what because it wasn't narrative it was it was sort of growing mm-hmm. you know they kind of grow sometimes and then you don't know what direction they're going to take and yeah and i mean just fascinating too because we hear about women mothers dealing with miscarriages but never how it affects you know the siblings usually yeah it is haunting, like you said. Well, I think that a lot of people have miscarriages, but they don't necessarily talk about them with their children later. You know, I, which is also interesting. I I think I get to it in the poem a little bit, but just the fact that this child knew about it. What was the point of that, really? I mean, some of our mothers are oversharers. And not that it was a secret, but she talked to me a lot about it when I was older. Really? Yeah. And uh, it must have been terrifying for her. And she was very young. She was probably 22 at the time. Wow. And that must be terrifying. Uh, and in those days, you know, it wasn't a pleasant experience. Not that it's pleasant now, but we have a lot of things to make us feel better quicker. And I think she was alone at the time. Anyway, uh, and the idea of a spirit, you know, I, I have a lot of my poems are about death and dying. How unusual is that? Um, but I'm, I'm pretty convinced that there's spirits and that people live on. And the idea that sometimes when I feel a kiss, it might be this brother who was never fully born mm-hmm. looking after me. I think that was the kiss on the back of your neck. I think that was from a different poem. Yeah, I have many kisses it's on the, the back. The spiritual. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a feeling. Interesting. You know, it kind of gives you a chill. Yeah. Um, because you talk about such personal things like that, um, and then things just about pop culture and James Gardner and a dream about Meryl Streep, it gives such a complete uh, picture of you, even if it's not accurate, because it is, you know, this persona. I still finished it with a image in my head. Hmm. What was the image? Um... Well, because I knew you before, it was a little more like fully formed, but just um, just a little more like backstory. Yeah. But possibly into uh, maybe we could like describe your office, which is kind of amazing. Uh, Just like (laughs) reasons for like why, what kind of person would have an office like that? Mm. Do you write in your office? I do. Let's describe it. I do. I mean, maybe maybe I will to show how vivid it it is. Okay. (laughs) Is that okay? (laughs) Yeah. The walls are covered with pictures and art, um, some art by your husband, who's an artist, plush, thick, pink carpet. When you walk in, there's a floral sofa, maybe Mm. a love seat on Mm -hmm. the left, and then a bookshelf and books everywhere. Kim's also a literary agent, uh, publicist. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and then big windows when you walk in behind the desk. Sounds great. I, you know, I, I, it sounds really good. Was I accurate? <laughs> yeah, 
office, there's a lot of energy in yeah. that office. There's a lot of energy. And it's interesting because um, when I write in that space, it's in that energetic space. And I guess if I think about the poems that were written there, I mean, that's supposed to be my day job. And I'm not not supposed to. I mean, no one tells me this. I mean, it is the voice that comes to me. It's your company. Don't do that. But it's my company. But I I still, I try to focus on, you know, my my work there. But there have been, you know, like the poem, They Discontinued Carrots. That is from my first book. But my assistant at the time, um, you know, she would get me lunch and she, um, we would do a thing at Subway often. And I had a certain sandwich that, you know, is very specific (laughs) Not that, you know, I'm that picky, but when you're going to Subway, you do get to choose. Right. So it's like one piece of turkey, one piece of cheese, but then pile it on cucumbers, carrots, tomatoes, and blah, blah, blah. And she came back very upset. She's this lovely girl um, and from Wisconsin named Carolyn. And Carolyn comes in very, very upset. And she said, looked at me with a completely straight face, and she said, they discontinued carrots. <laughs> and I just said, Carolyn, thank you for that. Now, please go in your office, and don't give me any calls for an hour. It, it was just so immediate. They discontinued carrots. How can you not write a poem about that? So that was written in my office with a lot of energy and fun and pleasure and just everything but I just kind of got it down on the page and then it took weeks and weeks and weeks to to get it right yeah I like the image of you uh writing in your office full of energy versus like a completely white room and like lighting a candle and maybe summoning some spirits oh yeah no spirits no candle yeah no no white room I don't have any room in my house that's white yeah my my dining room is orange walls my kitchen is green walls my I like color. I like around to be around color. And when I write at home, I write in the dining room usually. And I can see all the colors from all the rooms down through the outside to the backyard. Wow. I need to have colors around me. I love that. Yeah. You said you wrote goodbye to James Gardner at yeah. your home? Um, yes, I did. After, looking, after seeing the article in the newspaper. I mean, I write a lot of things from reading the newspaper. Were you surprised at how affected you were by his death? Because he kind of it, fell out of you know, pop culture yes, towards the end. absolutely. I mean, the guy, you know, is an elderly gentleman when he died. It's, I was not even a fan of Rockford Files. I didn't really watch him in the later years. Yeah. He affected me much more as a child. And uh, I loved Maverick. You know, I loved him as a cowboy playing poker. With, You know, I loved cowboys. I was a huge cowboy fan. Oh, really? Yes. I loved westerns. You know, I wanted to live in the West and be a Western person. You grew up in New York or Brooklyn? New York City. New York City, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that was like the great unknown to you. (laughs) Well, I don't know. My dad loved Westerns, so we would watch them all together. Yeah. You know, and I loved all those old TV shows and, um, you know, Red River with John Wayne, you know, Um, all those old movies, those old Westerns. And um, I just... I love them. When the movie How the West Was Won came out, it was in Cinerama downtown, like on 50th Street and Broadway. And I remember it was just, oh, my God. That's funny. It was amazing to go see How the West Was Won on the big screen. 
Um, How did you make your Searchers is my favorite movie, top five favorite movies. Yeah. So yeah, I loved cowboys and things. Yeah. Did you see Wild Wild West? With Will Smith? <laughs> uh, no, you know, I, was, I wasn't I was watching TV really when Wild yeah. Wild was, but I would have been a fan okay. for sure. No question about it. Huh. Maybe that's one that your son would watch. Yes, totally. What, what does he think about his mother being a poet? Wow, we're going to have to ask him. Let's, let's really? call him. I, um, <laughs> He's waiting on the line. No. Yes. Um, honey, well, I think... Um, I, I think he's proud of me. Of course. And I think that he sees mainly that I had this dream and something I did when I was very young that I stopped doing for a long time, that I've come back to doing. I think that it informs his own life, um, that that we can all do what we need and want to do. We don't have to worry so much about earning a living, you know, although, do you have any money? <laughs> um, so... I, I think he probably is proud of me. Okay. It, it, I guess that was like my dream growing up to have like two artist parents. Yeah. You know? Well, he has that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what he has. It's an amazing influence. Yeah, I think he was influenced by it because now he's an artist himself. And this was this was not his trajectory. We did not see that coming. He was a jock. He was a football player, a baseball player, went to law school. Oh, funny. Yeah. So his life has sort of been like a poem that took a turn. Huh. Yeah. Why do you think that you like subconsciously choose poetry to tell these stories in? Like, for example, you had the story about the mailman peeing into your trash can in the alleyway behind your office. That could have been told a million ways, like on a TV show through like written, you know, prose, like a thousand ways. And you wrote it in a poem. I happily write a script about that if someone wants to pay me for it. Um, I'm a poet. I don't choose it. I don't choose it. It just never was another option for you. Well, I've written other things. I would like to write other things, but... When I sit down to write, that's what comes out. And I see I see things as poems. I see them in shapes of poems. You know, poems can be um, just like a block without, without stanza breaks, yeah. or they can be quatrains or triplets or long lines. I almost can see the shape the poem is going to be before I sit down to write it or as I'm writing it. It's almost for me like clay, like you mold it. And suddenly I start making the line breaks as I as I work. So you're saying that the way the poem visually looks on the page dictates what and how much you write? It often can, it can. Ha- look like a shape. You know, if there, like, um, there are things you do that poem is very light and airy and there's a lot of space between yeah. the lines and and then there are poems which are called sort of rants which I write a lot of where it's one long sentence that just goes on there's no space there's no line breaks it just keeps yeah. pounding away and you kind of know as you're writing it that that's what that poem's going to look like and as you know they say they again the poetry people uh, poetry is the most concise form of language. There can't be any extra words or even extra punctuation. You have to say it and say it as concisely as you can. 
So you comb through those poems. It's not like prose. I mean, prose, you get a chance to breathe a little more. You can say a little more. There are writers who are more concise, shorter sentences, yeah. more poetic. But um, poetry, that's, that is the demand of poetry. And that's the skill to make it brief, to say it quickly. Yeah. Do you ever write a line and just like really impress yourself and say, wow, that was great? I have done that. Really? Yeah. Is there an example in the book? Um, oh, wow. I, I see. These are the things you should have said before, and I would have had them all you, ready. Your book has notations in it. Would that be easier? Um, it's color-coded. It's, it is color-coded, like a crazy person. Well, I think that I have surprised myself with some endings. Sometimes the ending comes, and um, I... I wasn't ready for it, but boy, I don't know if I can answer that question right now. I think, um, like my one of my um, other ones I really liked since I'm Jewish was the Knishes. Oh, the Knishes! <laughs> and I could just understand the bafflement of how could you stink up this entire plane with this bag of Knishes? Yes. <laughs> um, and I told my mother that story, and she was horrified. <laughs> but it, it had a major turn in it. Yeah. And so that just came out through the writing process. That you didn't came plan out. That. No, I didn't plan that. I started writing about the Knishas, and it led to the beach, and it led to this very unpleasant experience when I was a teenager in New York. And it was it, it was about the Knishas, but it wasn't about the Knishas. Right. And the poem is really about somebody doing something that uh, that's unexpected, and you're not sure how you feel about it, and you don't know how to react to it. And it was being given a gift... But why? And yeah, and you end with, uh, I think you did not yet know how to say no. Right. Some there's some no is such a small word, but something about ending the poem on no and then period, it just was so jarring and. Wow. Yeah, I didn't expect that. Yeah, that's um, Kanish in my stomach, feeling like led a gift from a place long ago, way before I knew how to say no. I think that when I did write that, I was surprised by it. And I learned something about myself that I think we learn how to say no, particularly women. We don't start out knowing because women are supposed to say yes to everything. Mm -hmm. And then when you do learn how to say no and have it be okay, that's a huge moment. I mean, I'm not saying that men don't have to learn that too, but men... I think, well, what do you think? I think no comes quicker for men. I agree. And it's, of course, stereotypically, it's more about taking and women are the giving and yeah. finding that balance later in life. Women don't like to say no. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah. Yeah. Should we read the Kanish poem? I think it'd be a great one. That it's your show, Jeff. <laughs> but I gave it all away now. I know. I think we can still enjoy it, though. Okay, here we go. Uh, Knishes. All right. 13 Knishes. A friend brings me 13 Knishes from Brighton Beach, carries them in a plastic bag on the airplane from New York to L.A., potato, meat, kasha. I didn't know what to say. I'm touched he thought of me, wanted to surprise me, 
the weight alone daunting, carrying onto the plane. Even if it crashed, he'd have held them tight, gone down the emergency slide, clutching them. Those knishes brought me back so many memories. Riding the D from Manhattan to the beach, I was a teen, towel rolled under my arm. Would stop at that dive under the L, eat one, before I hit the sand, like a punch in the stomach, even without gravy, that knish was lethal, and now I have 13. How could he know the smell alone would set me back? Remembering the man standing over me, blocking the sun, not a soul on the sand, my eyes closed, body slathered in copper tone. He bent down, kissed me on the lips, said, that's what we do where I come from. I said, this is America. I'm 16, just want a tan. And I could never shake that dread like a knish in my stomach, feeling like lead, a gift from a place long ago, way before I knew how to say no. Thank you. You're welcome. It's a great poem. Thank you. And that poem was written in my office. Ah, with the scent of the knishes still lingering. So pretty immediate. Well, the, the, the beginning of it was immediate. And then I took it home. It was sort of like this little puppy, this little homeless dog or something, in my computer. But it was bothering me. And then when that happens, that's a great feeling because you know you have this thing waiting for you, like the knishes, the 13 knishes, feeling like lead in my stomach. And I couldn't wait to get back to it. And that's when I do go off and close the door. And, uh, and then the rest of it came out. Because if you didn't have it in the back of your head, you know it's not a good idea. It's not worth right. it. And poems, you know, since every word has to... I do consult people, you know, and say, what do you think of this? And I do remember that um, I had... Uh, the idea of the knishes going down, like what happens when, oh, how did I get to the poem years later from knishes? Suddenly I, oh, I was on the next page. But when I, um, when I had that line, uh, he'd held them tight, gone down the emergency slide, clutching them. Um, I had the emergency shoot at first because it also rhymed. It's daunting, carried on the plane. Even if it crashed, she'd have held them tight, gone down the emergency chute, clutching them. Or something rhymed, I don't remember. But I, that word chute was troubling me. And my, my dear friend, Janice, who worked in aviation for a million years, she uh, was a star in that business. And I thought, if anyone would, under, would know the right word... And she's like, no, it's not called a shoot. It's called a slide. You know? And I, I suppose I could have found that on the Internet. But I like to go to the right people for the yeah. right job. And, and then slide worked even better in the poem. Yeah, it just keeps like the momentum moving. Exactly. And so shoot would have been, first of all, shoot. You think of shoot. Every word, you know, you have to be very careful that it's not like a red herring, that it doesn't take you to another image. Right. And slide is also greasy, like it's, they slide down your throat, and this person was greasy, and it's leading you. So every word is so essential, and that word going from shoot to slide was was very important. Oh, I love that. It's funny too hearing it. How hearing the poem, uh, poem, you think, oh, great. 
you don't focus on slide, but when shoots there, it, it stops it almost. You're it right. does. Hearing them together, you're like, wow, that's a huge difference. So, One word. You know, the, the, the process is, can be endless, but it goes through different steps. And after you have the idea or get it down, and then you start to form it or mold it, then you have to read it out loud. Because you instantly would hear, reading it out loud, that shoot is wrong. Yeah. You instantly would hear if it stops it or takes you somewhere else. And a lot of these poems get rewritten after after listening to them. You know, I'll, I'll say this, that people always say, well, when did you start writing? Or why, as you say, why poetry? And I was, uh, when I was a little, little girl, my grandmother, who is Russian, she had memorized, she grew up, in Russia and she had a governess and she would tell me these stories that she memorized all of Pushkin, all the great Russian poets. She memorized them all. And I remember being four and five years old and sitting with her. She always would sit in the dark, turn off the light in the living room, which it was kind of weird, but it was was very pleasant. She would recite poetry to me. I didn't understand a word of it. It was in Russian, but the sounds of it were so beautiful. And I was mesmerized listening to the music of poetry, even though I didn't know the meaning. Yeah. And then um, when I was little, I mean, we all are read to her, hopefully, but to me, Dr. Seuss and A.A. Milne, those rhyming were just magical. I, I knew all of the everything from Now We Are Six, A.A. Milne. And I still have those books from when I was little. Really? Yeah. I still have the poems memorized that they made us remember in fifth grade to recite yeah. from the class. You know? Yeah. It, memorizing poems is a great thing. People yeah. are like, why make them do that? But you see, it's musical. And and there will be things you do, that poem. It sounds like a Dr. Seuss title. And yes. I think that's why I think that I was so fascinated by the poem, because um, actually, though it mentions eggs, <laughs> it very much is not in the world of Dr. Seuss at all. Right. I, I love to imitate Dr. Seuss. And I do have a poem in, I think, the first or second book that is is an homage to Dr. Yeah. Seuss. Um, and I I love, I think he's a genius, you know. Yeah. And I and Emily, too, you know, they're changing guard at Buckingham Palace. Christopher Robin went down with Alice. I mean, I used to, I knew them all by heart, and I used to say them to my dolls. And But there's the comfort in rhyme and um, just... And an enjoyment. Enjoyment and comfort. And, and when you can mix comfort and terror, wow, you know, you've got it all. Yeah. Um, I think that's a perfect place to end it on. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much, Jeff. Of course. Guys, we'll see you next week. Until then, you can find all of our content on YouTube, iTunes, and of course, bookcircleonline.com. Goodbye. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.